Welcome everybody. My name is Linda and we are studying the 14 mindfulness trainings for I'm not sure how long, maybe six months, maybe a year. And today I'm going to share my recent experience with awareness of suffering, which would be the fourth mindfulness training, and the importance of community, which would be the eighth mindfulness training. I'm first going to read the fourth mindfulness training, Awareness of Suffering. Aware that looking deeply at the nature of suffering can help us develop understanding and compassion, we are determined to come home to ourselves to recognize, accept, embrace, and listen to suffering with the energy of mindfulness. We will do our best not to run away from our suffering or cover it up through consumption, but practice conscious breathing and walking to look deeply into the roots of our suffering. We know we can realize the path leading to the transformation of suffering only when we understand deeply the roots of suffering. Once we have understood our own suffering, we will be able to understand the suffering of others. We are committed to finding ways, including personal contact, using the telephone, electronic, audiovisual, and other means to be with those who suffer, so we can help them transform their suffering into compassion, peace, and joy. When I attended, when I attend a retreat, my heart begins to soften and open, usually from the minute I walk in the door. Friends encountered only at retreats are smiling and offering hugs. The fire is often burning and there's a feeling of warmth and kindness. I guess I have an expectation of peace, <coughs> tranquility, and a feeling of no separation from the practitioners at the camp where we have our retreats. But when I heard and saw the presentation on the third mindfulness training at last fall's retreat, I felt like I had been knocked over but there was no place to land. I wanted to curl up into a ball and hide. For those of you who weren't at the retreat, someone gave a presentation, used very harsh words, and expressed a lot of anger about sexual abuse. A number of us were dramatically affected the speaker's suffering became our suffering. My experience involved a lot of fear manifesting emotionally and physically. I was forced to come home to myself, to my feelings. My body basically took over. 
The events of the retreat began a process of self-reflection that has been difficult as well as enlightening. It took me more than a month to realize that the main thing I lost at the retreat was trust. Did not trust the Sangha, the center, retreats, or teachers. I did not feel part of the Sangha and began showing up even less than I had before. Pulling away and getting away felt right at the time. I actually became an an escape artist a long time ago, running away from my suffering. I was so detached and most often not even aware of my suffering. I see now that I can use anything to escape that suffering. Food, taking care of other people, screens, adventure, Just about anything will help me get away from my suffering. And for a few years now, I have been practicing that escape from my suffering because of deaths of friends and loved ones. And to be clear, my practice was not strong when I went to the fall retreat. The Flowing Mountains Mindfulness Day in Helena at the end of October helped me to reopen and regain some comfort and ease about being with Sangha and the practice. Our loving and welcoming Sangha friends and Greg's talk and his energy began a process of reconnecting to our larger Sangha. Greg talked about the way of no self, of If our view is challenged and if we're practicing no self, it can be an antidote to the fight, flight, or fight, or flight, or numbing that happens when we feel attacked. It may keep us from being disengaged. I like to think that if I had a deeper practice, that I would have had a different or maybe less intense reaction. But again, I launched onto a path of deep looking, which is a blessing, I think. The community conversation on grief and loss here at Open Way inspired an even deeper looking at my, my childhood and young adult experience of trauma and loss and my tendency toward numbing. Someone shared that they had begun as an adult to grieve something they'd experienced as a child. I felt deep gratitude for the sharing of the group and the panel at the discussion of grief and loss. Um, I realize there are so many things that I have not grieved that happened when I was young. And the way it affects me now is I avoid. And I run even from connection with others. Sometimes I'm so embarrassed by how I feel that 
I turn to a screen, any kind of screen. I now understand that I have deep roots of suffering that I may never escape. Also, I know how important it is not to pull away into my dark places instead of being with community. After attending the conversation on grief and loss here in Missoula, I was reminded that this Sangha is a community where I can experience authentic sharing, compassion, and connection. I saw my own convoluted process of grief and loss over the long and the short term as I looked closer. The winter day of mindfulness in December up in Flathead Lake could not have been better timed for me. On Saturday morning, I wrote in my journal, I woke around 5.15. The moon is still out and the ground is wet. Clouds are moving across the sky. I can hear the lake. Sangha friends are waking up. And then after our mindful breakfast, I wrote, I'm here and not here, back and forth. I want to be here and I don't want to. Belonging is an issue. Being with all these lovely aspirants, their energy is soothing. My energy has been that way before. The sky is dark gray. Yet the lake is lit with many shades of silver gray and pale yellow. I can absorb the light too. Absorb the calm sweetness of those surrounding me. I can feel grounded here in time. That day, I felt my heart begin to open again. I began to feel part of the group and trusted the deep teachings of Barbara Newell as well as, as our, my Sangha friends. Barbara reminded us to engage in suffering and practice what is in front of us, in the moment, what is true right now. We are impermanent and so is our practice and so is our suffering. Birth and death in every moment. How many have you, of you have read Thich Nhat Hanh's poem, Please Call Me By My True Names? A few. I'm going to read it to you now. Do not say that I'll depart tomorrow. Even today, I'm still arising, arriving. Look deeply. Every second, I am arriving to be a bud on a spring branch to be a tiny bird with still fragile wings, learning to sing in my new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that are alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river, and I am the bird which, when spring comes, 
arrives in time to eat the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond, and I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks. And I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I'm the 12-year-old girl refugee on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands, and I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and laughter at once, so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion. My suffering needs time and attention, and so does my joy. The lovely practice of beginning anew is what's true for me now. Today, I begin again to study and practice in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. Today, I open my heart to the suffering not separate from my own. Today, I enter the light of practice and community. Though we seek connection, our society doesn't necessarily support connection. As Thai teaches, <coughs> community is a, of great importance. Yet many of us feel more connected to our screens. With everything that's happening in our world right now, connection and community become essential. I've been reading a book of essays I found in the Open Way Library called Hooked, Buddhist Writings on Greed, Desire, and the Urge to Consume. In one essay by Tubtan Chodron, a question is posed. Why do Westerners have trouble creating community? After all, most of us feel a deep longing for community but still we keep our distance and maintain our autonomy. My guess 
is that this has to do with the C word, the word we are very frightened of. No, it's not cancer, although that undoubtedly is frightening. The C word we mistrust is commitment. If we commit, our shopping around ceases. We have responsibility not just to others, but to ourselves. We commit to a daily practice. We commit to attending regular Dharma classes in order to nourish our hearts. We commit to attending yearly retreats. We commit time to plan activities at the Dharma center, monastery, or temple. We commit goodwill to serving our teachers and fellow practitioners. This cuts into our time to be with family, to watch TV, to go to the gym, talk on the phone, do email, browse catalogs, (coughs) frequent the mall, and go on vacation. In short, it requires that we divert time that ordinarily goes toward worldly pleasures into time leading to Dharma happiness. Somehow we mistakenly think that commitment means being trapped. In fact, when we make wise, well-thought-out commitments, they free us. They enable us to enter deeply into our practice and shed our defenses before our teachers and fellow practitioners. We develop trust in others and ourselves and learn to be fearlessly open. And most of all, we stick with a teacher and a practice long enough so that the Dharma can actually transform our minds. Only with commitment can we actually taste the Dharma. So that reading speaks directly to me. I definitely have commitment issues, especially when it comes to a spiritual practice. And I'm also often searching, searching for that feeling of belonging and for community at the same time. This has been true my whole life. When we were kids, my sister Eileen and I separately would go to other kids' houses and wait and hope that they would invite us to dinner, or even better, to invite us to spend the night. We found this out about each other when we were adults after my mother had died, that that's what we would do. Our home was so chaotic, full of anger and conflict, that we searched for another place to belong. So I'm not going to read the whole eighth mindfulness training about true community and connection, but here's a couple of sentences. Aware that lack of communication always brings separation and suffering, we are committed to training ourselves in the practice of compassionate listening and loving speech. Pardon me. When, whenever difficulties arise, we will remain in our sangha and practice looking deeply into ourselves and others to recognize all the causes and conditions, including our own habit energies, that have brought about the difficulties. So, I'm still struggling with intimacy and vulnerability. I'm still easily anxious over seemingly small things. I'm still not wholly committed to practice. 
my awareness of my own suffering has dramatically increased. So in essence, the teachings are alive in me. Beginning again to learn and practice the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh feels like the appropriate approach for me right now. I have no predictions about how this will all play out. As I prepared for this talk, I read Tai's poem over and over. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that are alive. In this time of upheaval in the world, we may all be experiencing anxiety, fear, loss, and trauma. We may be traumatized by the animals burning in Australia, or the political situation and our country's role in the world's conflicts, or something much more personal. If we can remember to take refuge in the Sangha, the Dharma, and the Buddha, we can be part of the healing. Taking refuge in our Sangha and other groups we may belong to can help us feel grounded. We can offer support and be supported in our suffering. Each individual has the capacity to offer joy, lightness, sweet stories, maybe some movement, humor, or love. In the book Trauma-Sensitive Mindfulness by David Trelevin, he writes, community is a valuable protective factor with trauma. The bonds that we have with others help us live through overwhelming experiences and ultimately help us recover from them. In the wake of a traumatic event, other people can help us feel safe regulate our arousal, and help us make meaning of our experience. They offer us perspective and remind us we are part of something bigger. I do feel cared about in our Sangha today. My heart is open and I feel safe. I've also joined a local chapter of Extinction Rebellion to see what I can do about the climate crisis and to feel connected to others in Missoula and around the world who are taking the crisis seriously and want to avoid global catastrophe. The organization originated in the United Kingdom and groups are popping up around the world. Before the first meeting, I had some hesitation about getting very busy and possibly being sucked into my habit energy of being a human being, human being, a human doing. Instead, people at the meetings are open to vulnerability and deep sharing. It feels like another sangha. What I really appreciate about Extinction Rebellion is we're taking time to meditate, acknowledging our fear and grief about what's happening, in the world and on the planet and we're using a mindful process to get to know each other and make decisions about what actions we might take. Now there are two groups I belong with, take refuge in and nurture while I practice presence and foster community.
I'd like to close with a quote from David White from his new book, Essentials. To go beyond our normal identities and become closer than close is to lose our sense of self in temporary joy. A form of arrival that only opens us to deeper forms of intimacy that blur our fixed, controlling, surface identities. To consciously become close is a courageous form of unilateral disarmament. A chancing of our arm and our love, a willingness to hazard our affections in an unconscious declaration that we might be equal to the inevitable loss that the vulnerability of being close will bring. Mm.